I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, walking through verse 17 is where we'll spend our time together in the text this morning. And the message title is Sound the Alarm. Need a little help this morning as we get started, church. So uh, how many of you, during the weekday, set an alarm so that you are able to get up when you're supposed to? Just raise your hand. You set an alarm? How many of you who set an alarm use your cell phone? How many of you still have the old school clock that when it goes off goes eh, 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 anybody have that still? A few? How many of you are retired and say, I have quit setting my alarm? (laughs) There you go. You know, it's interesting when you think about alarms, alarms have a specific purpose. The purpose of an alarm is to wake you up, to get your attention, to grab you and to say, you need to pay attention. Maybe you need to pay attention and wake up. Maybe you need to pay attention to something that's going on. Maybe you have an alarm at your house that if it goes off, you know something's wrong. We have a fire alarm here at the church that not long after this building was built, some guys were in doing some work in one of the rooms to the side over here, and dust was stirred up to the point that it set the alarm off. We get a phone call about one week after the church had just been completely done that said, there's a fire alarm, and of course your heart sinks in that moment, and you think, well, there it goes. But alarms are there for a purpose. Alarms are meant to grab your attention. And what we're going to see in the text this morning is Joel, on behalf of the Lord, to God's people, sound the alarm. Try to grab their attention. And so this morning, I want to read the text for us. And then as we do every single week, church, we're going to walk back through it together, verse by verse, and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. This is what Joel records beginning in verse 1 of Joel chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like wild horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. 
They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. For his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. The day of the Lord is a great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. That you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we pick up in Joel chapter 2, we want to refresh ourselves with what happened in chapter 1 last week. As we walk through chapter 1, we were reminded of what's going on in the nation of Israel at this point in time. The southern kingdom of the nation of Israel called Judah is a people that had turned their back on the Lord. They were not walking in obedience with the Lord. They, in fact, had turned their backs on the Lord, and the Lord had exercised judgment against them. He had sent a plague of locusts that had wiped out all of the crops, all of the vegetation that was on the ground, so the people weren't eating, the animals weren't eating, they weren't able to bring sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. At this point in time, things are incredibly dire. And Joel in that moment calls God's people to turn from their sin and to turn back to him. And the promise that Joel makes is that God would receive them back if they turn from their sin and return to him. But yet we come into chapter two and what we find out is that the people of God didn't take the warning very seriously. If you're a parent, you've experienced that at some point with one of your children where you exercise a little bit of discipline on them and they don't pay attention. Maybe your kids don't act like that. Some of you are like, all right, what's the answer, pastor? How do we handle this? Well, what you do is you ratchet up the discipline. You don't just turn them over and let them do whatever they want to do. You ratchet the discipline up. And what we're going to see is that's what Joel is saying to God's people. He says, listen, God has already sent 
a plague of locusts. He's already exercised discipline against you in your sin. But you've not taken this very seriously. You're not willing to turn from your sin and to turn back to the Lord. And if you don't, if you continue on this path, continue on this trajectory, rest assured the day of judgment from the Lord will come upon you as a people. Now, as we think about that, we talked last week about the reality that for us, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we at times in our lives may not be walking with the Lord. In fact, you may be here this morning and for you, you are walking in sin and the truth is your relationship with the Lord is not going very well and God at various points has sent his discipline, his judgment into your life to call your attention back to him, to say to you, wake up. Turn back to me. The path that you're walking on is not the path that will lead to an abundant life with me. It's not going to happen. Turn from your sin and turn back to me. And what we know in the heart of God is that God doesn't leave us as his followers in our sin. God will discipline us until he can get our attention. And Joel speaking for the Lord to God's people here, is saying to them, this should have been enough. Parents, you've been there. Should have been enough to grab your attention, child. But I've got a little more coming. If that's not enough, let's ratchet it up. And that's what Joel begins by reminding the people of here. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in the text. And it's this truth. We serve a gracious and a merciful God who stands ready to forgive us when we turn from our sin and we return to Him. God stands ready to forgive us, to receive us when we turn from our sin and return to him. So with that as the context of chapter two, God's people still not turning back to him. This is what Joel warns them of beginning verses one and two of Joel chapter two. And I want you to take notes this morning and write down This truth, the day of the Lord, Joel says in verses 1 and 2, the day of the Lord is alarming. Verse 1, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick Darkness. What is this darkness? Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. What is this day of the Lord that Joel is speaking here of? Well, God has already sent locusts to the land of his people to grab their attention. It wasn't enough. And so what Joel says here is, here's what's next. When God ratchets up his judgment, here's what you can expect as his people if you won't turn from your sin and return to him. That judgment is going to be an invasion from an army that is coming into the land. And he said that this should be alarming to you. 
It should raise your attention. Your pulse should quicken just a bit. You should take note of what is coming. He describes it here as a day of darkness and gloom. Last Thursday, I was here at the office, had met with someone, and storm rolled in last Thursday. And I'm not a meteorologist by any stretch of the imagination. They don't know what they're talking about, so I'm going to pretend like I do. Isn't that the job that you want when you don't have to be right and you can say, I think this may happen? But what I think happened is that two storms collided together because I was sitting in the office. I'd just finished meeting with someone. They headed out. I was getting ready to walk out to my truck. And in that moment, the wind started blowing about five different directions at the same time. Trees were wrapping around themselves. I'm looking. Sheets of rain start coming down. The sky turns completely black. And in that moment, I thought, I don't need to go home. Just walk back in. There's no reason to get out in the midst of all of this. But I want you to notice that that's the way Joel describes this invading army that is coming if the people of Israel, the people of Judah, don't turn from their sin and turn back to the Lord. He says that this invading army is going to cast a shadow over the land, that they are going to gather on the hills around the nation there, and that they are going to cast a shadow over all the people. It is going to look absolutely bleak and dark. And Joel here is sounding the alarm. He's saying to the people, pay attention, wake up, look at what is coming if you don't turn back to the Lord. Not only does he describe the day of the Lord as alarming, but he also describes in verses 3 through 5 that the day of the Lord is consuming. I want you to notice beginning in verse 3, the description of this invading army that will wipe everything out if they come. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burst. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. But behind them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Joel is letting the people in Judah know that when this army comes, they will have a scorched earth mentality. That everything before them is going to look lush, it's going to look golden, it's going to look beautiful like the Garden of Eden, but when they come through as they are making their way in, that they will set fire to everything, they will essentially burn the house down. He says in verse 4, their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run, and with the rumbling of chariots, listen to the description here, they leap on the top of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Joel, on behalf of the Lord, is speaking to the people and trying to grab their attention and to say to them, the day of the Lord, if you don't turn back to me, it's going to be alarming. It's going to be consuming. And he continues in verses 6 through 9, and he says, the day of the Lord is purposeful. Notice how he describes the actions of this invading army, beginning in verse 6. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. 
Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. This invading army that the Lord says He is going to send, this army knows what they're doing. I was listening to a podcast this past week and it was a description of the way war used to take place. It was a gentleman's game early on. You would line your people up. The opposing army would line their people up. They would stand there and they would shoot directly ahead. Some would fall down. You would stand back up. You would walk through it all over again until you either gave up or it was a stalemate. And then what happened is people started looking and realizing if we want to win the war, this is a dumb way to do it. We need to have some type of strategy. We need to have some type of plan. We need to sneak at night. We need to climb up in the windows. We need to exercise ourselves in such a way that we are able to endure through these battles so that we don't just walk away at the end, but this is going to be accomplished. That's the description that Joel paints here. From the Lord to His people, this is not going to be a pretty scene. This is not going to be enjoyable. This invading army that's going to come in is going to take over. It's going to be a scorched earth mentality. They are going to be no holds barred. It is going to be terrible. But not only that, Joel says that the day of the Lord is providential. Notice with me beginning in verse 10. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. Listen to verse 11. The Lord utters His voice before, notice this word, His army. You look at the text here and you say, well, hang on just a second. I thought the people of Judah were God's people. And they are. But here the Lord is claiming this army as His own. In sending judgment upon His people, the Lord says that my hand is the one who is bringing this. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it. At this point in time, the Lord is saying to His people, if you don't turn from your sin and return to Me with your whole heart, this is what you can expect. And what you can expect is not something that's just going to be a little bit of an inconvenience for you. This army is going to come in and they will take over and they will do it at my command. You know, as you think about some of the things we mentioned last week in our lives as believers, God is not content to leave us in our sin. 
said earlier that you may have come in this morning and for you, your walk with the Lord is struggling and the reason that your walk with the struggling this morning with the Lord is because of sin that is present in your life. We've said this before, we said it last week, that in no way is this meant to be a guilt trip or anything of the sort. Sometimes we experience difficulties in our lives simply because we live in a fallen and broken world. We think about an earthquake in Haiti. What we realize is that we live in a world that is broken, that we experience storms, we experience earthquakes, we experience hurricanes, we experience things like this because all of creation is groaning and longing for the day when the Lord will come back and restore all things. But as believers, let us not kid ourselves this morning and also recognize that some of us are experiencing trials and difficulties and struggles in our lives because of sin that is in our lives. Some of us are experiencing difficulty right now at our own making. And this for you is a wake-up call. I don't know if you've ever had a warning light go off in your vehicle, the beautiful check engine light that flashes up. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can simply unplug your battery and plug it back in, disconnect it, and it'll go away. Or you can take a piece of black tape and just put it over that spot. Just ignore it and not worry about it. But at some point in time, you're going to have a catastrophic experience in your vehicle. And for you right now, the truth is, you are on a trajectory as a believer where sin is characterized in your life in this moment, and you are heading towards a catastrophic experience of God's discipline in your life. And I don't think it's by accident that you are here this morning, and I don't think it's by accident that we're walking through the book of Joel right now, that this for you is a check engine light in your life spiritually where God is trying to grab your attention, where He is trying to turn your heart back to Himself, where He's calling you to turn from your sin and to return to Him. You know, what we see take place in verses 1 through 11 is Joel saying to the people, if you don't turn, this is what you can expect. But I want you to notice the hope that He gives beginning in verse 12 and Walking through verse 17, I want you to notice what Joel calls the people to do in response to what they've just heard. First, in verses 12 through the first part of verse 13, Joel calls the people to a posture of repentance. He says to them in verse 12, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Joel 2, God's people who are not walking with him, who are living in sin, who have not taken the hints, who have not seen his discipline already and turned back to him, says to them, even now, turn back to me, says the Lord. Come back. Return to me. How do we return to the Lord? With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. 
the description there is a description when we take sin seriously as God takes sin seriously. That when we recognize that we are on a trajectory that we as believers don't need to be on, God is calling us back to Himself. The recognition that the sin that is present in our lives needs to be taken seriously. How seriously He describes it here. Return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Verse 13, he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. We may not understand that, but what they would have done at this point in time when they had experienced a difficult season is that they would actually had ripped their clothes. Oftentimes they would have put on sackcloth and ashes on their head. They would have looked and taken seriously what was going on, but what the Lord says here to his people is, don't just pay lip service. Don't just put on the Christian face. Don't just act like everything is okay and go through the motions of confessing your sin, but it not be from your heart. He says, I would rather you rend, tear your hearts than simply rend your clothes. I would rather what you do in repentance, what you do in confession, what you do in turning back to me comes out of the depths of your heart. It's not something you simply do just to try to make yourself feel better or try to put on front for someone else to see. Let me ask you this question. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning and you look at your life right now and you say, Pastor, the truth for me in this moment is that I've not been walking with the Lord. That there's sin present in my life, whatever it may look like that is hindering my walk with the Lord. And the truth is, Pastor, I know that there have been warning lights that have been flashing in my life spiritually. And I've either been disconnecting the battery and connecting it back again, or I've been putting the black tape on the dashboard of my life spiritually, and I've just been pretending as if it's not going on in this moment. But for you, the reality is, God is saying to you today, come back to me. Come back to me with your whole heart. Turn from your sin. Take it seriously. Don't allow it to be the barrier between you and my relationship. Allow yourself to come to the point of recognizing that for you in this moment, there's nothing you desire more than to walk with Jesus with your whole heart. You know, as we think about this right now, I'm reminded of what I think some people's response is to that. I've had these conversations at the end of services where someone will say something like this, Pastor, you were talking to me this morning. You read my mail, you know what's going on in my life. I'll say, no, but God does. And God and His Holy Spirit very well could be convicting you in this moment. And they'll say something like this, you know, when the invitation was given, I I really should have come down front. I missed that opportunity. I want to encourage you right now, don't miss that opportunity at the end of this service to respond to the Lord. To with your whole heart, turn from your sin and turn to Him. Maybe for you this morning, you've never taken that step at all. Maybe for you in this moment, 
You came in today and you say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you that the same way that God calls his people to turn back to him is the same way he calls you to turn to him. To confess your sin, to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, to receive the salvation that only his death, burial, and resurrection can provide. Here's the question that Joel answers How's the Lord going to respond to you? Believer, how's the Lord going to respond if you turn back to him? Unbeliever, how's the Lord going to respond if you return and turn to him? I want you to notice the second reality that Joel calls the people to is a proper view of who God is. Notice the second part of verse 13. Return to the Lord your God. For he is ready to take you out. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine either. But isn't that sometimes what we think? That even as a believer, we think that if we will turn from our sin and turn back to the Lord, that God is going to look at us and go, hmm, not interested. You've done too much. You've walked away from me for too long. I want you to notice the response here. For he is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Have you ever had someone say to you, you know, I really like the God of the New Testament more than I like the God of the Old Testament? The God of the Old Testament's a God of wrath. He's vengeful. The God of the New Testament is merciful and gracious. And I always laugh at that because God doesn't change. And what we see here is a description of the Lord. We need a proper view. When we are in sin, we need a proper view of who God is and how he's going to respond to us. He's gracious and merciful. He's going to respond to us slow to anger. He's going to respond to us abounding in steadfast love. He's going to relent over disaster. At this point, Joel is saying to his people, come back to the Lord. He's not standing looking at you down a long nose, pointing his finger at you, saying, I can't believe what you did. He's looking with open arms saying, return to me. I'm ready to receive you to myself. I'm willing to forgive you. I'm ready to walk in relationship with you once again. Verse 14, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. I want you to notice beginning verse 15 through 17, Joel calls the people to a partnership of confession. This is a joint exercise for the people of God. Joel is looking at all the people and saying, this is every one of us. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation. How many people should show up? He says, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Notice this, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. He says to the people, every single one of you needs to be here. He says, I know we've got a wedding that's going on, but the bride and the bridegroom need to show up too. The children need to come. 
We collectively, as a group of believers, need to call out to the Lord, need to turn from our sin and turn to Him. I think about that in relation to where we are at this point in our nation. To where we are as a country at this point in time. And here's what I want to say to you, and this is not in the least bit political, this is simply the reality. That for too long, God's people have either sat on the sidelines quiet, or God's people have been complacent in calling evil good. And God says evil is evil. And maybe collectively as believers, we need to respond in the same way here that he calls those in Judah to respond. That we would hit our knees and ask God to do a work in this nation that could only be explained by his hand at work. I've said this to you before, church. People who don't know Jesus are going to act like people who don't know Jesus. The problem is when people who do know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus. And every revival throughout history of the church has happened when God's people take sin seriously and turn to Him. And here God is saying to His people, that's the step that you need to take. Between the vestibule and the altar, verse 17, let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Think about this in relation to us. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team makes their way back up, we have an opportunity to respond to the Lord with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, you may be a follower of Jesus who's come in today. And the reality is there are warning lights in your life. And this is simply another grace of the Lord in your life being extended to you. That as we see in the text this morning, as we see in God's word, that God is doing everything that he can to get our attention. If you're walking in sin right now as a believer, God's desire is to grab your attention, to grab your heart, to turn you back to himself. And he seeks to do that with arms open wide, arms of mercy and grace, ready to receive you and forgive you and restore you in your walk with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. But you know today is the day that you need to take that step. God stands ready and willing to forgive you of your sin, to receive you as one of His children today. Maybe you are here as a believer, and the truth is you just want to spend some time this morning as we have an opportunity to respond to the Word in prayer in prayer for this nation in prayer for this world that we live in asking God to do a work that only he can do that where we collectively as so called Christians 
have compromised God's word, have been complacent, have called evil good, that God would arrest our attention here today. Call us back to himself. Call us to stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ on his word without compromise, without losing our convictions and with compassion for those that are far from him. God, I ask right now that you would work in the hearts and the lives of these people as you have already. God, there are some here this morning who need to respond right now to you. There are some who are believers who are walking in sin, and God, you are calling them home today to turn from the judgment, the discipline that is coming and turn back to you. God, there are some that are here this morning who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Would you give them the courage right now to respond? God, would you call us as your church to intercede on behalf of this country, this world we live in, to ask you to do a work that only you can do, to turn people's hearts back to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand if you would. Myself, Pastor Aaron will be down front. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to come down and spend some time on your knees before the Lord. Maybe you need to kneel where you are. Maybe as this service closes out, you want to come down and Pastor Aaron will hang around, pray for you, encourage you. But you respond this morning as the Lord leads you.